listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. You can enjoy more messages like this and more with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. To invite Michael to speak to your group, visit CourageMatters.com and click on the Your Story tab. Hold on to your seat and open your heart as Mike teaches us from God's Word. I want to introduce you to the smallest book in the New Testament. I want to introduce you to three men today. One is a Roman citizen, slave owner. The other is a preacher. And the third is a slave. I want to introduce you because within the context of that little book is the powerful message of forgiveness. It is a message for modern times. It is a message for you and me today as we live in the 21st century. So join me and follow along in the little book of Philemon. If you would open up your Bibles to Philemon, and we'll look at the only chapter that is recorded here in God's Word from Paul to this man, Philemon. And follow along as I read the entire chapter. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me and how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and also Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, and my fellow workers. 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Here we have three men and we have a situation and we have the message of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a powerful message. Satan hates forgiveness. Satan does everything through guilt and shame and many other avenues to keep people from coming to the place of forgiving someone or asking for forgiveness. But I hope today, as you and I take this journey through this little book of Philemon and then broadly open up some scripture in the word of God, we'll understand forgiveness, we'll practice forgiveness, we'll live it out in our lives. We'll be a church known as a forgiving church, a people in the workplace as forgiving forgiving people. We'll be known in our families as forgiving people. We will be known as forgivers just as Christ has forgiven us. So as we dive right in here, let's jump right down and look at a few things beginning in verse five that focuses on the qualities that are found in Philemon. First of all, Paul says in verse five, I hear of your love and your faith, not only toward the Lord Jesus Christ, but to all of the saints. And of course, saints, when that word is used in the Bible, is referring to believers. You and I who know Jesus, we are saints. We are part of the body of Christ. And here we find that Philemon's reputation, a quality in this man's life, is the demonstration of his love and his faith toward God. He had a vertical relationship with God that was evident and praised by the Apostle Paul. And there's one thing about a vertical relationship with God. When you and I have it, and we're doing well in it, it also is horizontal. Because who we are in our relationship with God and how we walk with God in our relationship with Him becomes so much easier in our relationship with others. If I have to work at a relationship, I need to check my heart. Because it just may be that there's something in my life that's putting a wall between you and me. And so we find here that Philemon had a wonderful reputation, a wonderful quality in life about loving the Lord Jesus Christ and about loving others, about faith with the Lord Jesus Christ, toward the Lord Jesus Christ and toward others. And sharing his faith was evident in verse six. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. It could be worded this way, that your faith may become effective and powerful because of your accurate knowledge. In other words, the apostle Paul is saying to Philemon, another quality that I see in you is an understanding of how to handle the word of God. Philemon was not a novice. Philemon knew the word of God and he practiced the word of God and he shared his faith with others. And he was a caring man in verse seven, for I have derived much joy and comfort from you. The apostle Paul personally had the care and he had the love from Philemon expressed to him. But Paul doesn't say just him. If you look at verse seven, he says, again, you have refreshed the saints. You have encouraged brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. 
And so here we get a picture of a Roman citizen who is a slave owner. And he is saved and he now has Paul writing and describing to him the qualities in his life. Then Paul goes on to say in verses 8 and 9, he talks about a choice that's before Philemon. He says to Philemon in verse 8, accordingly, now that word accordingly could also be a word like therefore. Because of what I just said about your qualities, Philemon, I have something now to propose and a choice for you to make. He says in verse 8, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you, he says in verse 9, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Paul is saying to Philemon, I am an apostle. I represent a place of authority. I represent a place with Jesus Christ that he has given me. And I have the right and the privilege as an apostle to come toward you and to say to you, you need to do it this way. Or I can come alongside you and encourage you. This Friday, I'll be 61, and as I look back beginning the ministry at age 24, oh my, I wish I could go back and do them over. Because when I look at my life at 24 and I read those two verses, I can look back on my life and I can see where there were times as I would approach people, it would be more toward them. It wasn't until about five, six, seven, eight, ten years later I learned as a pastor how to come alongside. But you know what I also know from Scripture, like Matthew chapter 7 that talks about you and I taking the log out of our own eye so that we can see clearly to take the speck out of someone else's eye? If I have sin in my life, and here's a good test, if you have sin in your life, you'll have the tendency to come at people. But when you know who you are in Christ and the capability of sin in your own life, you can come alongside people. And so here Paul says, I can come toward you as an apostle and he'd have every right to do that, but I really prefer to come alongside you as a brother in Christ. And then from qualities to choices, we come to the tough topic. And the tough topic is found in verse 10. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. Now, I don't know what Philemon thought when he first heard that word. But I know that when I'm in conflict with someone and I hear their name or I hear about the situation, I know what my tendency is in the 21st century. I don't know if first century Christians had this problem, but I know that I would immediately pull back in defense mode. And here is a tough word that is being said to Philemon, and it is the word Onesimus. Now, as we already read, and you may already know from reading this book before, Onesimus was a slave. In Roman culture, it was far different than what you and I, even in our Civil War experience, have experienced. Because most of the population in Roman society were slaves. When Caesar conquered lands, he took people as slaves. 
Paul speaks about himself being a freeborn Roman citizen. We know Philemon's a Roman citizen, whether he paid for that or whether he was freeborn, scripture doesn't tell us. But in Roman culture, the major population was slavery. Now here's what I read that I thought was interesting. In Roman culture, you could not identify who was a slave and who wasn't. Because Rome believed that if they trademarked their slaves with certain clothing, those people might realize how large of a band of people they have and could rebel against Caesar. So when people owned slaves in their household, they were part of that household. They acted in the everyday activity of that household and uh, they just continued on. Now Philemon here is hearing a bad word, Onesimus, because Onesimus wasn't the kind of guy who treated Philemon well. In fact, we're going to see in a little bit exactly what this person did. But let's stop here. Because as I take you through this little book this morning, we're going to take a parenthetical step away from Philemon and hit the topic of forgiveness. All in the context of what's going on in Philemon, but I want to give you some things to think about, and maybe this is the counselor coming out, but I want to give you some things to think about today in regard to forgiveness. And there are five, six things I want to share with you about forgiveness. Number one, in the forgiveness, there's a foundation. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, and in Matthew chapter 5, there's a familiar portion of Scripture here that lays a foundation for forgiveness. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So that's our foundational verse. There are a lot of verses in the Bible about forgiveness. I could take all morning and we could just look at them. But if you have a concordance in the back of your Bible, or you own a concordance, you can go home today and you can look up the word forgive, forgiveness, forgave, and you can find a lot of Bible references to forgiveness that would support what I'm saying to you. So that as you search the word of God, you know know what I'm saying to you is the word of God and coming from the word of God. And so we find here that this is our foundation. And with this foundation, there are six things that I would like to share about forgiveness. Number one, there is an emotional side to forgiveness. I struggle. In fact, I tell my counselors and mentors, when you have someone before you who is in tears and they are struggling and they're just not getting it and they're not sure how to get it, I don't want to hear the words, well, you just own it up and live for God or you just go pray about it. I don't want them counseling or mentoring if they do that because emotion is real in situations. Emotion is real. And I don't know what emotion Philemon had when he heard that word anesimus, but I know what emotion I have when I'm in the midst of conflict and forgiveness has to happen. I know sometimes my emotion can be stubborn. I know sometimes my emotion can bring tears. I know sometimes my emotion might put a sadness on my countenance that I walk around with for days. I know my emotion isn't jumping to, oh, praise God, I've just been hurt. 
But we have a tendency in the Christian community to spiritualize everything to the point we don't allow people to hurt. And I want to encourage you, don't be the Bible verse thrower. Be the person who's going to sit there and let someone cry. Let someone express themselves. Yes, their expression may be unbiblical. Yes, their expression may be outside the realm of God's thinking, but allow it, let them walk through it so you can bring them back to the truth. There is a place for God's word. There is a place for prayer. There is a place for encouragement from a biblical view but we have to walk through that emotional part first. So I'm not sure what kind of pain Philemon felt when Paul mentioned, hey, I want to talk about a topic, a sore topic, and it's Onesimus. Because this character, Onesimus, not only ran away from Philemon, but he took possessions that belonged to Philemon. Now, I don't know about you, if I had something where somebody took something from me, my tense level might be a little bit higher. I would feel threatened. I would feel like I was violated. I would feel like what in the world is happening? Someone reached my possessions and they took them. And again, I don't know how far Philemon went because scripture doesn't tell us that. But we know there is emotion that comes, but there needs to be obedience in that emotion. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For a godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation and without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. There is a place of recognizing forgiveness as we walk through the emotion, recognizing it that there is something that I need to do biblically. And I often tell people that I meet with, your emotions are way out here and truth is way back here. And it may take weeks as I repeat myself and repeat myself and repeat myself, but the day will come when truth will override emotion and that's when you'll be able to move ahead. And when truth overrides emotion, genuine grief and repentance is beginning to happen. Whether I have sinned against someone or someone has sinned against me in that process of forgiveness, whichever end I am on, there is emotion. But as God's people, we need to move toward a biblical understanding of making things right. And that is the problem in the church of Jesus Christ in America today. We would rather gossip, tear down, destroy, drag someone through the mud. We would rather just annihilate their name rather than to go and say, I was wrong. The best unbiblical person is the Christian who whispers because they tell you, oh, there's something real heavy on my heart. Would you pray about this with me? 
Do you know what so-and-so, and you know what starts to happen? We start to feel good emotionally. We start to feel good emotionally in a wrong way because we have come to destroy rather than to go and to make right. A fruit of repentance, a real genuine grieving is where I have to humble myself and look at myself and move in a direction to make things right. And so we find this emotion. I look at Luke chapter 18 as an example for us here today. Luke chapter 18, and in verses 9 through 14. He also told this parable, this is Jesus talking, telling the parable, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. They're extortioners, they're unjust, they're adulterers. Why, even this tax collector, like him, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And Jesus here gives us an illustration of two people. And what I find in a Pharisee is a believer who is unwilling to forgive or seek forgiveness. What I find in a Pharisee in the 21st century church is the person who says, I love to sing the songs of God. I love to read my Bible. I love to pray. Well, you know what? I gave an extra offering this week in the church to help a missionary. But they will not cross that bridge of forgiveness. And we find here that Jesus says the person who really sees what they're like, who really confesses what they're like, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That person goes justified more than the other person. So there is a lot of emotional intention. Yes, there's a place to express regret, but it does in time need to be balanced biblically. Secondly, we need to accept responsibility. If I am really going to be successful in forgiving and asking for forgiveness, I don't wait on the other guy. Accepting responsibility means I'm going to make things right without blaming. I am going to say, this is what I have done. Or if someone has sinned against you, I need to come and ask for forgiveness. And the prodigal son is an example in Luke chapter 15 and verse 21, when he said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. The prodigal son realized it wasn't dad's fault. It wasn't God's fault. It was his fault. And he came back seeking forgiveness. The third one is making restitution. For all of you familiar with AA, you know one of the principles we talk about. I must make amends. I must make amends to those that I have hurt. And so we find here that making restitution is making amends. You may have done something. You may have taken something. You may have used someone and you need to make amends. You may have lied about something in order to get some cash, and you need to make amends. And so I want to encourage you today that you would make amends. Fourthly, a genuine repenting is a turning around. 
It is in sincerity that it is done. And it's with a plan that you have. Because when you have a plan and when it's sincere and you are going to turn from the way that you walk, then you will see uh, genuine repentance. You will see the fruits of repentance. And so I want to encourage you today to take the first step. Take the first step. The apostle Paul is writing Philemon and he's saying to Philemon, I am sending Onesimus back. I am sending him back to you. And here was a Jewish man, the Apostle Paul, a one-time Pharisee of the past, interceding for a Gentile from the dregs of Roman culture and saying, he has become my son in the faith. He has found Jesus as his savior. And now I am sending him back to you, not as a slave, but I am sending him back to you, healed as a believer, spiritually healed because he accepted Christ. And that does bring healing. The fifth thing before the healing is requesting forgiveness. You need to go. As hard as it is, you need to go. Now, if some circumstances are too tough, yes, maybe it has to be a telephone call. There are times when people who are in my office shouldn't even be around the people they need to talk to, especially when you're dealing in the drug culture and the addiction culture. There are some places you don't want to put people back into, but they still need to follow through and make amends. That is their responsibility. So it may be like can often happen in my office where someone we will put on the speaker phone and they will call that person in my presence to make amends. It may be a letter. It may be somebody who's dead and they need to go and stand in front of the tombstone just as an act of following through to say, would you please forgive me? You see, forgiveness hurts the one who's unwilling to forgive. The person who is out there that you've offended or whatever, or maybe they offended you, they're out there and they're having a good old time. But guess who the one is who is struggling? You, because you won't forgive. Forgiveness must begin with you and then the healing takes place. Restoration can happen. Consequences may need to be faced. You know, again, working in the world of addictions, there's something known as a jailhouse conversion. And I know this because there are people that I counsel who come to me because they think, because their lawyer told them, if you seek a counselor and you get help when you go to court, the judge might give you a break. So yes, there are people out there who sometimes take the wrong steps, sometimes the right steps, but sometimes the wrong steps. The point is forgiveness doesn't negate consequences. There may be times that we have to pay for what we've done, whether it's giving back some cash, whether it's finishing out a jail sentence or finishing up our probation work time, whatever it may be. But there is healing. There is healing and the ability to release our memory from what happened. We don't forget everything. Do not buy the psychologists on TV who say forgive and forget. God doesn't forget Read Psalm 103, he chooses not to remember. And even though years may go by, there might be a trigger one day that sends you back 10 years ago. Don't go back. Remember, you gave that to God. Remember, you chose to forgive. Remember, remind yourself what you did.
Some people really get stuck with that. Oh my goodness. All of a sudden it came back to me what that person did to me 10 years ago. Maybe I didn't forgive them. And then they struggle for no reason. They need to learn the biblical principle that we choose to forgive. Well, let's jump back to Philemon and continue with the tough talk that was going on here in chapter one, the only one chapter. And we're looking now down at verse 10. Again, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. I already mentioned that Onesimus got saved. Can you imagine that? Here is Onesimus. He's running away. It's almost a humorous thing. Here he is running away. He's done with Philemon. He's done with this slavery thing. He's going to get enough cash that's going to get him to Rome, to the big city, to live it up. And he runs right into the Apostle Paul. You know what? Sometimes that happens in our lives too. Somebody thinks they're running. Somebody thinks they're getting away from God and all of a sudden they're working beside you at work. They think they're getting away from God and all of a sudden they move in next door. They think they're getting away from God and all of a sudden you show up somewhere and start talking to them in the mall. God has a way, I don't know how much a sense of humor is in that, but God has a way of bringing people into relationship with others. Paul says he's a useful man. Formerly he was useless. By the way, the word Onesimus means useful. But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. And I'm sending him back. I'm sending him back. Look at Colossians real quick. I want to show you this because it's an important chapter in verse four of Colossians. Look with me at verse seven. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that we may encourage your hearts. Watch out, verse nine. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who, is one of you. And now in the Colossae church, we find the letter to Colossians uh, is talking about Onesimus. They may have read the letter to Philemon. They're all there in Asia Minor. These letters got passed around. The Ephesus, Colossae, Philippi. These letters got passed around. And they could have seen and heard about Onesimus. And now Paul in Colossians writes about this faithful man. And there's the grace of God. There's the forgiving God for every one of us. When we were yet dead in our sins, God forgave us. And look how he has changed your life. Just like Onesimus, he was changed. And then we also see here that he was a brother. And what's interesting, I read one place which I thought was really interesting. How did the letter that Paul wrote get back to Philemon because Paul is under house arrest in Rome. It probably went back at the hand of Onesimus. You know how we know Philemon forgave Onesimus? We have the letter. He could have ripped that thing up. He could have got Onesimus back and had him thrown in jail. He could have gone and given him the worst treatment that you can imagine a slave in Roman culture would get. But we have the letter, and I believe it reminds us of the heart of a man who was forgiving to a runaway slave. 
And so we see this letter coming back. And Paul indeed forgave. Paul saw the forgiveness of God. And now Paul is encouraging Philemon to forgive as well. The last thing is in verse 21 of Philemon. Confident of your obedience, Paul has not lost confidence in Philemon. Can that be said of you and me this morning that even in our sin at times, even when you and I screw up, do people still have confidence in us? Paul had confidence that Philemon would do the right thing. Verse 21 again, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing, Paul says, I know, I have knowledge that you will do even more than I say. I wonder what he did with Onesimus. I wonder if it was like the prodigal son where a robe was put on him and a ring was put on his finger. I wonder if shoes were put on his feet and there was a party. I don't know because it doesn't tell us. But I know what Paul says, Philemon, you'll do more than I ask. You'll do more than I ask. Ladies and gentlemen, this morning, we have a forgiving God. We have a forgiving God. When we were lost in our sins, when there was no hope for us, Jesus Christ came to the cross and he died for our sins. You may be sitting here this morning and you would say, Pastor Bob, this is really the first time I've heard about this forgiveness or uh, I didn't know that God could really forgive someone like me because I've been convinced of the shame and guilt that I've been carrying now that there's no way that anybody cares about me. But if you're here this morning without Jesus Christ, I want you to know that we not only love you and appreciate the fact that you would take the time to visit us, but that Jesus Christ loves you more than we could. And when he died on the cross and he shed his blood and he rose again the third day, he gives to every man, woman, boy, and girl the opportunity to receive eternal life. You can receive forgiveness like Onesimus did. Regardless of what you're carrying today, you might not be a slave and you might not be somebody who stole from somebody, but you might have a past that you think is too unforgivable, but it's not. And I want you to think this morning as God starts talking to your heart right now about your relationship with him and your need for Jesus. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we hear forgiveness all the time because we've experienced it at the cross. That's where it began for us. But you know what happens to us sometimes? What we've experienced at the cross, we lose with each other. What we have experienced at the cross, we lose with each other. And you may be at odds with somebody in this room this morning. I have no idea. Trust me, I have nothing in this head of mine that knows anything. Okay? at least about your sin. I do know some things, okay? <laughs> uh, but you know what? You may have be at odds with somebody this morning. They've done something to you and it hurt. And you may still find yourself crying at home. But you need to realize that just as Christ has forgiven you, God can help you forgive them. And if you're here this morning and you've sinned against someone and you know you've hurt someone, God tells you about it sometimes, but you brush it off. You need to go to that person because if we can't get it right, they're never going to get it right out there. If we can't get it right, they're not going to get it right. Remember what Jesus said, the verse I began with, the two verses I began with in Matthew, leave your gift at the altar 
and go and make things right. God doesn't want you for the rest of this morning service to sing to him. God doesn't want you the rest of this morning service to pick up your Bible and read it. God doesn't want anything from you this morning except you to go and make things right. That's what he says. And when the church of Jesus Christ is a witness to the world that forgiveness is powerful and lives are changed, the unsaved world will want it. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. We'd love to hear how this message impacted you. To share your story, visit CourageMatters.com and click on the Your Story tab. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.